Hello and welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. On this series, we explore the opportunities and challenges facing the Higher Education Business Office. My name is Brian Dixon, and I'm the Director of Student Financial Services and Educational Programs at Nakubo. I'm thrilled to be joined today by a member of the Nakubo Board of Directors, Jose Rodriguez. Jose is the Vice President and Chief Information Officer at Pomona College in Claremont, California. Jose, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, we are here today to talk about technology. And it's all around us. It dominates our work lives, our personal lives. Can't avoid it. And before we get into the nuts and bolts of of what we're hoping to cover here today, technology and higher education, I was wondering if you could give our listeners a short bit on your background. Who is Jose Rodriguez? Thanks, Brian. Sure. Um, I have a kind of a diverse background. I took a, a bit of a securitous route uh, to get to CIO, but I've actually really come to appreciate that sort of winding path over time um, and all the different disciplines that I've touched on along the way. I actually started out in the sciences. I have two degrees, a bachelor's and master's in entomology, um, study of insects, which people always like to joke. It's like, oh, you went from bugs to like, you know, viruses and bugs. So that's always, you know, uh, a conversation starter. But um, right after graduate school, I started in a health sciences research lab at University, uh, Emory University in Atlanta. Worked at Emory about 25 years. Um, about the time the internet was just starting up, I got really bit by the technology bug itself. I, I became really interested in technology. Uh, the doctor that I was working with was having me develop um, these clinical trial databases. Uh, he was very supportive of me. And so at that time, I just did a lot of tinkering with technology in, in addition to doing the research uh, in the lab. And um, I kind of then moved into that. Um, I did a sort of tour of duty around Emory, where I was a desktop support specialist, um, and then worked my way up to IT director. Um, I was in diverse areas from the humanities to language center to theology. Um, And then at that time, I got my first CIO position at Rhodes College. It's a private, uh, small liberal arts college in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I was there for about three and a half years, and then um, now I'm a CIO at Pomona College, and I've been here about um, uh, just a little over a year in Southern California, Claremont, California. That is an interesting, uh, an interesting pathway, indeed. So you're 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 probably familiar with Nakubo's State of Higher Education series, where we, you know, once or twice a year examine some of the, the pressing issues facing higher education and. And it's where we encourage folks to have conversations on these issues. And in September, we released what we called the top five higher education business issues of, of 2022. And we didn't place them in any particular order. But one of the items we noted was providing a secure and, and modern technology infrastructure. And we mentioned cybersecurity as one of the concerns. Uh, could you talk just for a bit broadly about cybersecurity at colleges and universities and, and, and you know, what those threats are and, and why are they important and, and what schools are doing to address them? I mean, are we talking about, you know, threats to individuals, the campus, uh, potential students? What, what are we looking at here? 
Definitely. I mean, cybersecurity is certainly top of mind for any CIO today, uh, whether in higher ed or, or other organization. It has been for many years. Um, I don't have a background in information security myself, but I've done so much studying and, and so much work in the area now that I, I feel like I've got a much better um, handle on it. And of course, you know, I want to say that you, you always hire people smarter than you. And so I've really tried to hire good people uh, to lead those efforts. That's key um, because none of us can kind of keep all the plates spinning or know everything. Um, but one of the things that I've kind of learned over time and really appreciated um, over time is the importance of a holistic approach to cybersecurity. There was a time early on in my career when I was very concerned about vulnerabilities and breaches and, you know, those individual risks that we are more prone to direct attack. And those were the kinds of things that kept me up at night. But what I've learned is that the best security posture really comes from like a, a broad range of approaches uh, from um, security awareness for your community to adhering to um, policy and, and compliance frameworks um, to the tuning of hardware and um, network and, and computing configuration um, and the right identity and access management. Who has permission to do what and how do you um, manage people's passwords and how weak or strong those passwords are. That's that's one thing that I've really come to appreciate and really have implemented or tried to implement is a real holistic approach is broadly um, addressing cybersecurity as opposed to focusing on individual risks and vulnerabilities. As for threats and kind of what, you know, what we are sort of at risk of, I still believe um, that malware and phishing attempts are really some of the, the greatest risks because they involve user education and awareness. Um, and it doesn't take much uh, for one direct point of access for a, for a bad actor um, to have a, a high success rate and to really ruin uh, your day, as we say in IT. And um and cause significant harm to the community and to your data. So I still think um, addressing uh, that through uh, user awareness, but also through uh, multi-factor authentication is highly important. Multi-factor authentication, as we all have gotten to know now, is you know that additional code that you get on your phone uh, that you have to have next to you as you're using your computer to be able to get on the other resource and prove who you are. Um, but one is a technical control combined with the social or behavioral control. And that's, again, you know, that's kind of spreading out uh, the approach, uh, even though that's kind of a small uh, topic. But anytime you can have more than one uh, point of inflection in terms of security, you'll be much better off. I was also going to add just that, you know, more recently, I think people are worried about artificial intelligence as a kind of a a big security risk, you know, certainly, um, now we're, we're finally, you know, with chat GPT and other, um, more realistic AI, we're starting to, to maybe come into an era where unsuspecting users can be far more easily duped. Um, and me included, right. You don't have to be a non-technical person to be duped, but I, I want to be cautious because I'm a strong supporter of AI technologies. I do want to keep a watchful eye on this area because not just because it's AI or because it's more realistic, but because 
any new powerful technology is likely to find its way of being very positive, very you know beneficial to humanity, but also very risky and very dangerous. Someone's going to use it for good, and someone's going to use it for evil, and and that's kind of been proven historically. So, keeping an eye on that for sure, for sure. And and I'm an admitted two factor authentication junkie. I love it. Good um, for you. Doesn't doesn't <laughs> bother me. Um, so I was hoping we could we could take a, a step back here, as you know, we're we're at Nakubo. You know, we're constantly thinking about the finances of higher education, and and the cost of technology is is a component here, and that's real. And and aside from you know the cybersecurity component, maybe we can talk about those costs too. But where are investments being made in higher education technology infrastructure? And and I mean, are you seeing differences between those investments in, in higher education and other other sectors? I and I think many of my colleagues we're focused more and more on investing in cloud infrastructure. So moving our on-premise hardware, our data centers. Uh, and and on-premise services to cloud-hosted environments and cloud-hosted services. This actually can offer several benefits. I mean, one is that it just greatly increases your access and mobility to those services uh, for for IT and for end users. Um, it often um, has far more security uh, applied to it than we can do on an individual institutional level. One definite benefit is always the the offsite redundancy um, for the sake of your own you know da- uh, disaster recovery, which is no small thing here in Southern California, where we do occasionally have earthquakes, um, and uh, so disaster recovery is a big part of what we consider. Um, it also can produce reduced costs and some environmental savings in the form of reduced local power, um, reduced cooling and space needs. Of course, those are offset to the cloud, but you also have the benefit of a, you know, a collective cloud as opposed to individual people running their own uh, data center spaces. I do want to talk a little bit about the, the kind of human element that this brings up or the consideration that it brings up in, in terms of staff, because I get this question a lot. You know, if you follow a strategy like this to its, you know, fullest end and you're completely in the cloud and you're no longer running anything um, on campus, what happens to the staff who were doing those jobs and, you know, what happens to them uh, and their roles? I mean, I'm, I'm just a firm believer in not just only professional growth and development, but kind of the evolution of our skills and our jobs and our passions. So I always tell my staff that, you know, what you're doing now is not necessarily what I'm going to have you do in the next few years. Like we are going to grow, not just uh, in what in the amount of what you know, but maybe in the, the different things that you uh, know and the skills the technical skills that you have. And so moving to uh, cloud services to me is just a, a, you know, a nice way to evolve people's um, jobs and their interests into, into new areas with new challenges and um, maybe stretching their goals a bit um, and hopefully sparking some new passion in, in a whole new, you know, area of technology. I was going to give a, a, an example, if you don't mind, I have. Go right ahead, please. A staff member who was uh, very, very technical, very directly involved in technology, but he's also really a people person, loves to interact with folks, um, but he wasn't much involved with the Pomona community. His 
prior position was a very technical title, um, but I moved him into a new role that I created for him, um, and we called it Manager of Digital User Experience. And so he has this opportunity now and, and can kind of see himself using the technology to help users improve their digital experience. So now he reaches out a lot to faculty and staff. He's very involved, very, um, very social with them. And so we know we were able to take that strength that he had, but evolve it into a new role that really, you know, gives him another way to kind of view his um, strengths and what he can offer uh, to the community. So really happy about that. He's really happy about it. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about in terms of like moving into cloud services. Gotcha. Want to want to pivot again? Our friends at Educause also have a list. They have they do their top ten IT issues, and it's a list they publish annually, and, and folks can find it at educause.edu. And they break down their list into three sections. Uh, the first being leading with wisdom. And the first item on their list is to make sure that IT leadership has a seat at the table, um, uh, that IT is a full partner in institutional strategic planning. Uh, for someone who might not be in, in the weeds of higher education, can you explain why that is important, not just for the IT needs, but for um, organizations as a whole? Brian, it's so important because the way I look at it, it's the difference between simply being a service and a utility to the organization and being a partner and a strategist or co-strategist. A seat at the table means uh, a CIO will be able to speak strategy with uh, other leadership colleagues and with the president and with the trustees. There are a lot of CIOs and associate CIOs who are not on the president's cabinet. Uh, aside from not being able to speak directly to the president, they also don't often get very engaged with the trustees. And that, to me, that's a huge mistake. I think those are relationships that um, truly become part of the strategy engine for uh, for yourself and for your community. You know, it's just the difference between simply addressing an incident and, re- and a request and kind of thinking about what the user is trying to accomplish. That, to me, is is the difference in terms of having a seat at the table that I am um, not only allowed, but uh, supported in the conversations that are far more strategic for the school, not just in terms of technology, but in terms of um, all the different areas of administering the college. So we're, we're talking about higher education. We're talking about technology. I want to talk about students uh, and, and why this is all, why we're talking about all of this, because, um, you know, Educause also cites on their list the need to use technology, data, insight, and agility to create a frictionless student experience, they call it. And what does that mean, you know, in your opinion? I mean, we're beyond, right, simply just providing laptops and, and tablets to students, right? I mean, like, what what bigger things can, can IT be doing to help our students with, with their studies so they can stay enrolled and, and complete their programs? Again, this is, this is top of mind for, for CIOs and a big uh, priority for all of us. We want to make the student experience as smooth and convenient as possible, but we also want to make it as mobile as possible. I mean, they are everywhere with all uh, many different devices often um, or using their friends' devices. And so to be able to access what they need um, from multiple 
places and multiple modes is, I think, uh, really important. I tend not to think in terms of specific innovations so much, but one thing that I think about a lot is um, listening to students. I think it's really easy as a CIO getting caught up in your own roadmap, your strategic roadmap, and thinking just about innovation. And like, we could do this really cool thing for students without ever even thinking that I should talk to them and see what they think. I think it's really important to listen to them. I think over time in my career, I've learned that students often don't want a lot of innovation or bells and whistles, believe it or not. They really want easier navigation. They want access everywhere. They want mobility. They want to be able to do anything, any time of day because their schedules are all over the place during the day and during the night. Um, and so, you know, one example I, I give people is that we worked with our facilities department, um, who's over dining services, to implement a Grubhub um, outlet here on campus um, that connects with students' um, ID card. Uh, services so that they could pay for Grubhub through their ID card. It's, you know, nothing um, genius, but it's a, it's just putting together um, what you hear students wanting. Like they want another option other than the cafeteria um, at different times of day. Well, what is that? I mean, that's like Uber Eats or Grubhub or something like that. Um, but do they have trouble paying for it? Yes, because they use their ID card and they're trying to like um, use their dining services money. And so, you know, we essentially just work together to put those those two pieces together. Yes, it has technology behind it. Um, but the emphasis was more on like, what were we trying to accomplish? What did the students want? And not so much on the, the bells and whistles. No, you mentioned the bells and whistles, and it it it, it strikes a chord with me too because I work with you know a lot of the bursars and the student accounts folks administering the payments and and processing refunds and and the shiny things are are kind of nice on paper, but um, you talk to the students that are coming to these offices and they want the payment to post quickly and have options to pay and to get their refunds. So it's kind of like let's just let's cut to the cut to the core here. So, Reliability is an innovation in itself yeah. sometimes. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um, so to tie it all together, you know, IT, it, it helps increase efficiencies, increase performance and improve student success. Any, any big challenges uh, that, that stand uh, out for you? You know, I mean, because this is probably not like a one size fits all approach we're talking about. I mean, I did mention artificial intelligence. That's something kind of in the back of all of our minds. We're waiting, waiting and seeing um, what that will do. But to me, the biggest challenge and the biggest kind of constant is always change, change in technology. Um, it's just it's a moving target and it always has been, um, except it's moving really fast and continues to kind of pick up the pace. Uh, for IT staff, we're used to it. It's our, you know, bread and butter. It's our daily experience. We move with it, you know, sometimes not not as quickly as we would like to, but we do move with it and we accept it. But it's harder. It's much harder on like faculty and students and other staff who don't um, deal with technology on a daily basis. You know, they really just want to sit still with something that they know and something that works for them, even if it doesn't provide you know, the best features, but they've, they've come to be very familiar with it. And so, you know, that sort of change management, as we call it, refer to it, 
uh, bringing people along is still, I think, one of the hardest things. And, you know, there, I think you hear it's not about the technology, it's about the people. Um, that's always the that's always the the best thing uh, about working with technology and the most difficult thing, you know, that we work with. Well, to put a bow on it here, I'm going to give you an easy one, Jose, to wrap things up. Um, if you could give our listeners one thing that they probably didn't know about information technology at colleges and universities, what would that be? Yeah, this is a, uh, this is a fun uh, thing to, to ponder. You know what, where I, my mind goes to is the fact that we have this stereotype of being introverted and geeky and, you know, just kind of all hunkered down in our own little thing and only knowing this one little thing. And um, the reality is very different. I would love for people to know that um, IT groups can be incredibly academic themselves. Um, I have multiple staff uh, with PhDs, um, one in education, another in archaeology, one in music. Um, this is on a you know 30 person team. So we're talking about 10% of, of my team have PhDs. Um, I have a gentleman who plays the harpsichord and like other med- medieval string instruments. Um, I have multilingual folks. I have a skydiver. I have someone who's goes out sea kayaking. He's an amateur ornithologist and uh, people that build their own high fidelity audio equipment. And then, of course, you got me, the entomologist. Yeah. So I would love people to know that we're versed in much more than just IT. Right. And I think that's a great way to to close out. So. I would like to just point, though, I know we had uh, identified our Nakubo State of Higher Education series a few times throughout, and you can easily find that on our homepage, nakubo.org, just under the resources tab there, and you'll see it under advocacy right there, State of Higher Ed. So, Jose, really want to thank you again for joining us. This has been a real treat. Thank you, Brian, and thank you so much to Nakubo. It's just an amazing organization. I'm so happy to be part of it and be able to contribute. And I also want to thank our listeners for joining us. And if any of you uh, would like to tell a friend about our podcast, you can find us anywhere where you find your podcast. And with that, thanks again. We'll look forward to having you join us on the next edition of Nakubo in Brief. <laughs>